Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Tonight is the finishing up of our of foundation of everything we're studying, because if, we if we don't trust the Word of God, it's hard to, if we don't understand the Word of God, or, or its value, its importance, it's hard to get to these other topics. So thank you guys for, you know, I, I know the reading, some of the reading was long and some of the reading was challenging, but uh, thank you for your efforts. I, it's, some of it is, uh, whoa, it's deep stuff, but... Uh, we are, I, I listed there the, the different uh, doctrines of the Word of God that Grudem has listed. And if you look at different systematic theologies, th- there's some different orders and some different ways of describing the words. Like what was the big word we learned uh, a few weeks ago? Per- perspicuity? Or... <laughs> perspicuity, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so there's, uh, you can get those kind of systematic theologies with all the big words if you want them. But uh, I picked Grudem's because he, he does such a great job of opening the, opening the understanding of things. So authority of the Bible, inerrancy of the Bible, clarity of Bible, uh, necessity of the Bible, we, and sufficiency of the Bible is what we're looking at tonight. And uh, I think they're, they're really good topics, and well, I, I kind of felt overwhelmed by all the stuff we could talk about tonight. So, uh, yeah. Necessity of Scripture, necessity of Scripture. Uh, the Bible is necessary for the knowledge of the gospel. That's uh, a big, a big emphasis here. If you look on page 140, I think we'll start there. Uh, different views of how people can be saved. Now, these aren't uh, these aren't all church views. Some of them are. Uh, some there's these different views in Christianity. Some of these aren't uh, very wide, widely held in Christianity. But uh, I think all of these, um, there are Christians who would hold to these. And uh, uh, let's just look at those. Universalism, all people who ever lived will be saved. Have have you ever known anybody that held that view? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not like this hidden doctrine or, you know, people, there's people that believe that, that no matter what, uh, you're going to be saved. God's God because God is so loving and God's so gracious. How could He ever not have anybody in this heaven? That, that's kind of that that view. When you look at the obituaries, you would think that everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody gets their angel wings, and uh, yeah, yeah. Which is fascinating, is it? Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, religious pluralism. All sincere religious people from all religions will be saved. So if you're a sincere Buddhist, a sincere Hindu, a sincere Muslim, uh, God, the, the God of the Bible, as long as he sees a sincere, sincere desire to follow the dictates of the religion they grew up in, he's going to save them. And uh, I've, some of these views, there's all kinds of books if you want to go deeper. I have a few on my shelf. Uh, Salvation in a Pluralistic World, Four Different Views. And then, is Jesus the only Savior? Uh, there's, but there's many more books like that out there. If you really want to dive into one of these, maybe you have a family member or a friend that, that believes one of these things. Uh, again, the resources we have today are incredible. So I just, I just found a few on my shelf that you know, I've read in the past. And, and so uh, the, 
don't don't feel like you, you this is a a topic that's overly intimidating or you just can't plumb the depth of it because uh, there's good resources out there. But uh, anybody know people who hold a religious pluralistic viewpoint? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Inclusivism. Okay, people can only be saved through the redeeming work of Christ, but all people who ever live will still be saved because after people die, they'll find out what out that they were saved by Christ's work. They were included even people who had never heard of him or believed in him. And that's uh, that. this one book I got. Uh, he, he even says, even if people never wanted Jesus or never wanted heaven, they're going to be included. <laughs> God's going to force them into, into his heaven because he's that kind of God. And so uh, that, that view is out there. Annihilationism, uh, that when you know, you're going to die, if, once you die, if you're not a Christian, God's just going to smoke you and you're, you're, you're no more. Anybody know people of that view? Okay. <laughs> and post, this is an interesting one. Post-mortem evangelism. Uh, after unbelievers die, they'll be given another opportunity to trust in Christ, and most or all of them will be saved in this way. What local church believes this? LDS. Yeah. They, and they, they spend time, um, yeah, working on that in the temple and different places, trying to facilitate some of that baptisms for the dead, etc., etc. So Grudem's view is exclusivism. Only those who have heard of Christ and trusted him will be saved. Uh, are you an exclusivist? <laughs> or uh, is, 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 have you heard of views other than these that don't fit in these categories? Maybe you've run across something that there's, a, there's more categories out there. I'm, I'm sure there are. Yeah. There's also a secular view that there is no God. Well, well there you go. Yeah, there you go. The, the, there is no God. The yeah, secular humanist view or the atheist view. So these are uh, different, different views of how people can be saved. Um, the necessity of Scripture... Uh, the, the the Bible the big the big heading there is the Bible is necessary for the knowledge of the gospel and he gave several scriptures that were pretty pretty helpful in understanding what he's emphasizing. Um, I I quoted there number two, eternal salvation comes only through belief in Jesus Christ. For someone to believe in Jesus, they must first hear the gospel message. A person must either read the gospel message in the Bible for oneself or hear it from another person. Have you ever known anybody that's been saved or claimed to be saved without, without those two avenues? Um, I think you left out one view. I call it the scales or the balance view. And I heard it from one of my best <laughs> friends before he died and he never gave it up. If I, do, if I did more good than bad in my life, I'll be, I'll be okay. That's uh, yeah the the works I, I've worked my way yeah a work that's that's uh, why doesn't he have that on there? That's uh, yeah good job yeah that's that's I'm gonna I'm gonna write him and say hey you need a third edition you can yeah you can work your way that's why didn't I think of that good job Don. Because certainly, yeah. Um, there's a sentence, there's one sentence that really, really bugged me on the bottom of page 140. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit up from the bottom. It says, 
What the New Testament clearly emphasizes is that salvation comes to people when Christians proclaim to them the good news about Jesus Christ. I don't think it comes just because we tell them about it. That one sentence just kind of bugged me because I thought, you know, people could maybe misconstrue that and think, well, all I have to do is go out and tell them about it and... They're automatically saved. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. That that that's definitely not what he means. But they could misconstrue that. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good clarification. It uh, the New Testament really the the way is is either through reading the Bible or somebody proclaiming it. They're hearing it from somebody. So he's emphasizing that's the New Testament. In the context of we in the last. I don't know, 20 years, maybe it's been longer, but just in my last 20 years as I've paid attention, there's been a lot of uh, stories out there of uh, angels coming to Muslims or different people in dreams, and, and Muslims getting saved. And theoretically, he says that that could, be, that could be a way that people hear the gospel as long as the angels are telling them the biblical truth. <laughs> right? I heard a story about a hitchhiker that would get picked up and he would declare the gospel and then and people would start talking to him about it and they'd turn he'd around disappear. and disappear. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, I mean an angel an angel showing up and as long as as long as the gospel is being told clearly and truthfully, I suppose it's possible. His emphasis of course is uh, we don't depend on those things. The church is the is is been given the mandate to share the gospel. And that's the primary way that God spreads the word, spreads uh, the news of salvation. Yeah. So, um, nobody's heard of, I, I, I got a phone call today uh, from somebody and she said she wanted to be baptized and I asked her how she got saved and she said I, I was uh, with somebody that was going to kill me and I, 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 before I jumped out of the car, I said, God save me. And I jumped out of the car and, and God saved me, so I want to get baptized. And I was, I was, I was like, okay, that's a cool story. <laughs> Let's talk more. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm presuming, I, I'm presuming that at a previous time she had heard the gospel, and and that she'd heard how to be saved. And and when she said she called on God, that uh, that she, behind that was she knew she needed someone to save her for from her sins, you know. And and so I'm looking forward to talking to her more. She she said she'd be at church on Sunday, so. Um, yeah, I said, please come up and talk to me, and I want to hear your story, you know. And so, woohoo! Could be a fun baptism on Easter. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what what goes on there. Yeah, it's uh, what fun stuff. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the Bible is necessary. Does any questions on that? Just uh, all who come to salvation in Jesus have trusted God's word about a coming Savior. Um, any, any struggles with that first section of Grudem there? That I, I thought it was pretty clear. I, I, lo I love that different views, that list, except it was in, insufficient. Don helped us out there. You, you can, the letter G is you can work your way. The balance argument, very good. Um, on, on page 141, I, I, I circled it. Um, no, the the argument sometimes is what about what about the, and I've used it, I've talked about it before. What about the the tribal person, who's in the boonies somewhere, who's never heard the name Jesus, 
um, or uh, never never uh, had a chance to hear the Christian faith, um, are they innocent? Are, are they are they do, do they deserve heaven just because they've never heard Jesus the name Jesus or they've they've uh, they've never been exposed to the gospel? And, and he says in, in the second paragraph there. We must remember that God is always just and His judgment will, will be appropriate to what people knew and how they responded to the knowledge they had. But uh, he, he says before that that, well, that most of the people that are in the jungle never heard the name Jesus. They're devoted idol worshipers. <laughs> so there's nobody innocent, is, is his point. Uh, so from an exclusive, exclusivist point of view, uh, there's nobody out there that, that somehow is unfairly kept out of heaven. Is, is his point that everybody if they respond to the light uh, the idea is that hopefully we, we trust that God is fair and just that he will give them more light to the point where they eventually hear the gospel in some fashion or read it in some fashion well, how, how would you describe Paul's how did he come yeah, yeah great yeah so the, the gospel came to him through Jesus right on the Damascus road but he had a lot of uh, Pre, pre understanding. He knew Christian. I mean, yeah, he uh, yeah, he excellent. He knew he knew scripture. Yeah. yeah, he was he was uh, excellent. He was far above his peers in understanding scripture. So he had that background, and then he knew Christians, and as he persecuted Christians, I'm sure he heard the gospel through them, you know, directly. So he had both that foundation, but it was a, a miraculous encounter, you know, um, where he had his life changed. But in in Paul's circumstance man he he probably heard so much uh, the gospel like all those in the holy spirit working in his life as, as you know applying those scriptures um mm -hmm. to make sense of it yeah mm -hmm. i have a question so i mean you know it kind of covers that whole like the remote village and all those unreached people what about um kids kids you know where there's at a certain age where they just don't quite have all those cognitive faculties yet to understand. Yeah, for sure. And, and what about uh, um, special needs children? You know, cognitively, they just don't have the capability. That's, again, where we, I think that sentence, God is always just. You know, he, he's not going to be unjust anymore. His judgment will be appropriate to what people n know or knew and how they respond to the knowledge they had. So I, there's not going to be any accident, accidents in heaven or hell. You know, I, I think that, that just that, that four-year-old, you know, that six-year-old or that special needs child that's uh, or 45 years old, you know, they, they have certain capabilities and God, God knows their heart, I guess is the best way to say it. He's going to be just. So this, you know, of course there's nuance there. Like we are saying in an exclusivist position, only those who have heard of Christ. Okay, and, and I, as, as I read through that, it, it was kind of neat reading that Romans passage again. Uh, you could, like, the, like Satan believes in Jesus, right, in terms of who he is, but he hasn't trusted in Jesus. So we, knew, we nuance that some by saying, of course, there's, there's knowledge of God that people have, but there's also that need to trust in the God that they've come to know. Uh, so, you know, that, that tight definition of they have, to, they have to know all this stuff about Jesus, and that he died for their sins, and that they, they're sinners, and that they, they need a Redeemer and a Savior. Yes, 
But like that example of a four-year-old or a three-year-old or a special needs person, God knows what he's doing. I think that's the way I'd answer it. That's the way I did answer it. <laughs> yeah. I think like his definitions maybe just are a little, maybe just a little too vague. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's certain good, good point. I mean, you could again. There's other people that run down this path that have much longer definitions and much, much more thorough explanations of how someone is saved. Yeah. So that may, yeah, go ahead. Bible talks about we must become like children and have the faith of a child to be saved. So there's something in there about God's love of children and the recognition. Yeah, he, he, he sees our hearts. He, he knows, like that child that just trusts without questioning and, and doesn't have a resume to give to God. They just, they just believe. And that's, that's how he wants us to just believe and just trust without, without showing him our resume and how, how we've got it together and all of our knowledge and Good. Yeah, okay, so uh, letter EFGH, uh, sacramentalism is another way that uh, the Roman Catholic sacramental system, I'm, I'm right in Grudem, that's, that's it. Um, uh, the idea that uh, you, you, the, the baby is, uh, because they've been baptized in the proper terminology, the proper, remember that priest that said baptism wrong and saw the baptisms were invalidated, in Arizona a few months ago, uh, that sacrament of, of grace that comes in that child, the original sin is wiped out. And uh, um, there's, uh, say, say, your, say your statement again, Jordan. So, well, so for example, I have a friend who her child died very, very young. Yeah. Like, they believe she's kind of in this kind of like purgatory state because she she was baptized as an infant but didn't didn't have that, that communion, that second process, you know. And so they're actively, you know, they're always requesting, like, make sure you're praying for her because we could kind of like pray her into heaven. Yeah. So I, I think uh, the Roman Catholic system, they, they would say that people in purgatory are saved, but they're still working off their debt. Yeah. And so when, when, uh, when people in a Roman Catholic church have masses said for them, that, that's actually a, a, a lessening of their, of their debt, lessening of their, their uh, it's a cleansing. I think he'll talk about it in this book at some point, but uh, they, they are a work that you do to help someone get out of purgatory quicker. Like it, it, and that, that's the rejection of the, the reformation of that system because it's Christ plus. Mm -hmm. You know, right. Christ exactly. isn't all sufficient to get you exactly. straight to heaven. Mm -hmm. There's Christ and then you have to go through 100,000 years of purgatory or whatever. Right. And, and yeah. we can help that person get out of purgatory through our works and our efforts. Yeah. 
purchasing indulgences or, or purchasing masses or what have you. So. Exactly what they believe. I got into a discussion with someone about that at one point. Purgatory, I have not been able to find it anywhere in the Bible. It's, yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. It's in, yeah, it's in, yeah, it's in, it's in the, the Apocrypha. That's where that, that's why the Council of Trent so, so badly uh, fought for those books because it, that doctrine of purgatory was found in those books. But well, and maybe it falls under like it's kind of a little bit of inclusivism, but it's also a little bit of like annihilationism. Post-mortem. Right. Yeah, yeah, there's... Believers die, yeah, I mean... Be given yeah, it's so, it's so important for Roman Catholics to baptize infants because if they're not, then they're, then they're, in, the, they're in the limbo of strange, strange position. But I think the sacramentalist position would say that the person who dies has gone through the sacraments. They are saved, but they're just not... They still have a process to go through um, for however long that takes. And from what I understand, the person that I discussed this with was actually a deacon in the in the Catholic Church, and they were saying that, say you go to confession, you confess all your sins, and the priest forgives you your sins, right? If you say, Hail Mary and our Father, whatever he tells you to do. And then you go and somehow you commit a sin before you die, but you haven't been to confession yet, then you go to purgatory. So you can work off whatever it is since you've been forgiven by the priest. Yeah, mortal sins and venal sins. Right. There's a whole whole another chapter on that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. But anyway, thank you, Jordan, for that um, that, that question and that. Uh, there, there, so I letter H, sacramentalism. There's another way that people think they can be saved. It's another work system, Christ plus something. Mm. Prior to birth. Yeah, and, that's that's right. It's, which is pretty. There's a lot of theological implications there. Yeah. yeah. In the Old Testament, uh, John was the last Old Testament believer, or the Old Testament uh, prophet, and and so in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people for certain acts of service or certain seasons of time, and so that's another like. So the Spirit would come on Samson or, or Joshua for a season. Uh, in the Old Testament, we don't see the Spirit indwelling people permanently. So that's why David prays in Psalm 51, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. There's this sense of... Uh, but So John the Baptist received the Spirit for a, a work for God. And so the, in the New Covenant age, now we're totally indwelt by the Spirit from the time we're saved. So there's, there's some really fascinating theology there. Um, the idea too that, that I think it's John 17 Jesus said greater works you will do because I go to the Father and what that means if, if it's my understanding is that until I go to the Father the Holy Spirit won't come and dwell mm -hmm. so during the time that Jesus walked the earth it's my understanding that the Holy Spirit wasn't the same Help, I mean, help me with that, because if I, if I, if I well, yeah, the when Jesus went ascended to heaven at Pentecost, sent right. the Spirit, and now 
now we what's happening i think the greater works not that we do greater miracles not right. that we do it's now that how many people got saved during jesus's dispensation or his time on earth right so when the spirit came greater works right. were yes, experienced yes. and now hundreds of millions of people uh, have been saved uh, by the spirit's enablement and conviction and power mm-hmm. excellent uh how does a belief in exclusivism provide motivation for missionary service or local evangelism compared to the others? <laughs> People need to hear. People need the Lord. People need to hear the gospel. I, I, yeah. Anything else? I mean, I think you. People need to hear the gospel. The other, the other, the other positions that he lists there, they don't necessarily need to hear the gospel. I'm the only one that has the. Cut off is annihilationism. Yeah. And everything else is like, oh well, you can do it later. Whenever. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. God loves you. So so the exclusivism Yeah, it doesn't matter because you're even if, if you if, even if you're a, a horrible, horrible person on this on this earth, you're gonna get a chan- a second chance after you die. Um, so why, you know, in, in that, so exclusivism is the only one that really gives a impetus, a strong drive for, for sharing the gospel or missionary service. I, I, uh, I printed off a, uh, I, I found the story really interesting. Uh, the Moravians, it's kind of a, as I researched it more, it's kind of a, uh, it's not in your packet. But it's, it's a story of these guys in the 1700s, uh, Leonard Dober and David Nitschmann. They, uh, in the 1700s, they were convinced that the slaves in the West Indies needed to hear the gospel. And they, they Moravians, kind of, kind of uh, tied to the Puritans, I, I think. I can't, I can't remember all the history. But uh, they decided that at whatever cost, they were going to get to those, those slaves in the West Indies and they even proposed that they, they, if if the if the slave owners wouldn't let them, wouldn't let them go and preach to the slaves, they offered to sell themselves as slaves, to make sure those slaves heard the gospel. And it's uh, you know there there's some urban urban legends involved as I was trying to read through it, trying to get it, but it's it's quite it's quite the story of how they were mocked and how they were ridiculed. And how so many people didn't want them to share the gospel and, and all the things they went through. And eventually, eventually they got there and, it, you know, it, they, they just weren't prepared for the climate. And they almost died several times. But at, at the end of this, this account, it said, uh, even though they mixed the German and Dutch languages in what they said to the slaves, the Negroes still understood them. Accepting their talk as a message which heaven sent them, they rejoiced, clapping their hands. Up till, them, up till then, they had believed that what the white brethren, those preachers who ministered in the churches attended only by whites, had brought was only meant for white people, that the black had no right to accept it. A deep impression of the first sermon of Christ's love and grace remained in the heart of Anna and her, her, her brother Abraham. There's a story behind there. From that day they looked upon the brethren as sent from God as teachers. Uh, that was the third Sunday Advent. and. Uh, it was the beginning of the work of the Brethren among the Negroes of St. Thomas, whose blessings years later spread among thousands of the people on the island. And that, it's just kind of a neat story, um, how these, these two guys um, 
Dutch language, uh, kind of a German background. They, they really were convinced that people needed to hear about the Lord. They, people needed to hear the gospel, and, and they, they gave their life away to, to reach these people. And these other positions, um, I mean, why would you give your life away if everyone gets a second chance, or if it didn't matter? So there's implications to us believing that only by hearing the gospel people are saved. It, it should move us and motivate us to pray for the lost people and share the gospel and, and be evangelistic in our own life. Because right along with the Great Commission. Why would we do the Great Commission if there was these other ways? Yeah, why? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. A martyr? Yeah, Muslims, uh, that's, that's typical Muslim thinking. Uh, but other religions too. I'm sure there's been, like, uh, I think even in the, in the Crusades, I think there was some kind of sub-Christian ideas for the Crusaders that if they died fighting for the Holy Land, they might get a ticket to heaven. I think it's been, it's not biblical, but it's certainly been used in Christianity that way too. Mm. Tradition. <laughs> um, is that was that your question? Did I answer that? Yeah. Well, I just it, it just like it, it, I thought about it when uh, like the way they uh, terrorists get people to you know die in battle. You know, and yeah. They say it's because you, they believe that they're going to be saved if they die that way. Yeah. I I can't remember the exact. The I think there is something in Islam to that end. If you're, but I, I don't want to misspeak about it. You know, but it is something I think is part of that. And within Islam, of course, there are conservative branches and liberal branches, just like within Christendom. And so, not all Muslims would say that, but certainly the most conservative would interpret the Quran as saying something like that. Um, the Bible, letter B, the Bible is necessary for maintaining spiritual life. Uh, so the necessity of Scripture, the Bible is necessary for maintaining spiritual life. Did Grudem convince you there? I, I thought he was, in just a few paragraphs, he absolutely convinced me. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, he didn't pull any punches there. It was just to, to the point, boom. Okay. Uh, do you... Uh, how about that statement? Uh, to neglect reading of God's word is, a, is as detrimental to the health of our souls as the neglect of physical food is detrimental to the health of our bodies. Mm -hmm. Woo! Yeah. I highlighted that one. <laughs> yeah. But you know, in today's world, to have a spiritual life does not necessarily mean a God life. Good, good observation. Yeah, you can be spiritual without anything to do with God in today's right. understanding. Right. Yeah, I'm a spiritual person. <laughs> yeah. My brother believes in the great spirit. Sure. Yeah. So it's that, that's a good reminder. If we're talking with non-believers non or nominal nominal believers, let's clarify our terms. When we, when we say spiritual, they might think of something totally different mm -hmm. than what we're thinking. Also, a lot of times they uh, people when you 
talk to them and you say you're spiritual or such and such a thing is spiritual, um, they associate it with a religion or a denomination. Okay. And they automatically, the walls go up you know, because of a lot of things that have happened because of different denominations. Sure. So it'd be really good to uh, to clarify again what you mean by spiritual to that person if you know exactly. know who you're talking to. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Really good. Uh, <clears throat> why do we? And, and this is a serious question. Why do we find it often so difficult to nourish our souls? And it's interesting. People are working behind that <laughs> that door. It's it's not the mice in the building. It's not the rats. <laughs> it's. <laughs> We're actually going to have our business meeting in the in the the the, little, the lower auditorium on Sunday, so they're getting it ready for us to meet there on Sunday. You're all invited to the the, the church celebration meeting uh, about 1:15 on Sunday afternoon. Uh, so anyway, don't be scared of the rats. Um, but but the serious uh, the serious question there: Why do we often find it so difficult to nourish our souls on the Word? Let's let's wrestle with that a little bit. If we really believe that that the word is like spiritual food, why don't we read the Bible or study the? What's that? Distractions. Distractions. That can come your way any time of the day and get you out. I mean, that's why you really need to set aside time intentionally to read the Word of God. Otherwise, forget it. Not going to happen. Okay. I think what goes along with that is a a plan of what you're going to do and how and as opposed to just oh I think I'll read this today and you know mm -hmm. Sandy doesn't want us to pray yeah the distractions come from the enemy part of them part of them our own desires but you're absolutely right Nancy yeah and I think a real superficial reading of scripture doesn't do much for you it's really when you try to understand it and see how it applies to you yeah I, I agree Mark yeah yeah, because my lunch today was on the run. I mean, I actually didn't sit down. I just took a bite here and a bite there, and I think we did that with the word. I, I would agree with that. Um, sometimes I, I feel, I, like, I, I try to read scripture every day, but sometimes I've got other things in my mind that I'm trying to get through, so I just I sit down and I do a superficial reading, but I, I still read two chapters. <laughs> you know, maybe that's my pride or my ego or whatever, uh, but but uh, that that feeding it, it, that you can blow through something awful quick and not understand what you've read. Does that count as reading scripture if you don't understand it? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, yeah, technically I read it and maybe I can brag about it, but did I did I grasp it? Did I take the time to feed on it and feast on it and let God speak to me? We typically, because we're so busy and pull in so many different directions, we don't. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot more that could be said there. Well, I had friends before that would challenge you to read the Bible through in a year you know, and do it. And it's neat because there are Bibles that are done that way and they put it together so you're not flipping back and forth. But... I give myself a little more grace. I don't do it in a year. <laughs> I do it over about a year and a half. Yeah. But it does, it, I've, I've only done it the last maybe five, six years, but it does give me a content, a context. That sure does. How it flows together. Yeah, yeah you could, a big overview of things can help you put the individual parts together in a, in a, in a mentally good way. But uh, yeah, we, we don't, uh, 
I, I think sometimes uh, it, it's also difficult sometimes to feel like we're nourishing our souls because sometimes the way the Bible comes to us, like the epistle was written to the Philippians, for instance, and, and the, it was written to the original readers, and sometimes to really grasp the message, uh, we, we don't take the time or are not patient enough to listen to the, to the teaching and de deduce what the main lesson is for us. Like, like just the way, it, it doesn't come to us, hey, hey, Jerron, here's what I want you to know today. <laughs> here's my word for you today. It comes packaged in poetry or it comes packaged in narrative or it comes packaged in epistle. And so it takes labor and effort to get at the epistles or the poetic meaning so that I can digest it. Maybe that you put it in a, a food processor, I guess. The <laughs> to, to, no, that's the bad analogy. But it takes work. I, I really love it when I feel like it, it spoke to, God spoke to me, too. It's not just me reading it, but He spoke to me. But I had an interesting experience today because in that through the Bible in a year thing, I was reading in Numbers. <laughs> it was like I didn't understand a lot of what I was reading but I felt like I had been with the Lord it's his word Amen. and so I didn't get concerned that I didn't understand all that stuff but, but he was present Amen. And, and knowing you, uh, I'm sure that when you go to the scripture, you are looking to hear God's voice. You're looking to meet with God. So between that, as we open the word, let's always remember that we are, we're coming to the presence of God and, and God speaks, even today. But along with that, Art's, Art's uh, idea of let's have a strategy for how we approach the Bible. Because distractions will eat us up or we will be... Uh, we'll find a way not to read the scriptures unless we have a strategy and a plan. Have a strategy and a plan and expect to meet God as you, as you go in there. And maybe you need to have spend some time in prayer before you open the word mm -hmm. to get your head screwed on straight. Mm -hmm. I just like I heard Ben Stewart preaching to younger adults say, scripture before social media. Uh, More yes. scripture than social media. And that's that was directed towards 18 to 25 year olds but wow is that that's in our age group too for sure yeah because I mean, social media can just boy captivate us for 15 minutes like quick and then yeah. 20 minutes and then 30 minutes and and uh so i've been kind of thinking wow scripture before yeah. i even look at the weather anything before anything it's it, it's it actually helped me amen and he had some other guidelines too, but I don't remember those. Well, yes, and in our in our small group uh, last no Monday night, <laughs> the phrase "glance at the problem and gaze at God" came up, and so today my first thought was, "Oh, I wonder what happened in Ukraine, you know, over over the night," right. and then it was right. like, "No, God first, get that, <laughs> and then find out what's in." Yeah. <laughs> Then you'll have some perspective from which to hear the news. <laughs> yeah. I have to confess, my default is when I'm trying to read through the Bible, you got to read three or four Old Testament chapters for every New Testament chapter. And I just dread those three or four Old Testament chapters. And sometimes I frankly default back to the New Testament. And um, 
I, I don't think that's too bad a thing to do. It's probably more important to get through that New Testament two or three times a year uh, than to get through the Old Testament every year. Agreed. Better to do that than to just close it and you know, give up. The letter C, the Bible is, thank you, Donna, I agree totally. Uh, uh, the Bible is necessary for certain knowledge of God's will. This was a, this was a, uh, a longer little, little section. Um, the, the, the second question I have there under letter C in your outline, in practice, where do you spend most of your time and effort seeking to find God's will? Feelings, prayer, Christian books, podcasts, conscience, advice, circumstances, human reasoning, society. What comes to mind immediately? Where, where do you look for God's will? Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, so he, he really wants us to understand that the Bible is necessary for certain knowledge of God's will. But in practice, are, are, do we go to the Bible? No, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It w and, and before you got this book, what was challenging about going to the Bible? For Sometimes it's hard to understand. Okay. And um, I have a biblical commentary at home that's something I keep right underneath the Bible. So it's like, if I don't get something, at least I can go there and see what another person... Uh, group of people actually wrote this. Interpret, this. yeah. And, and they had a really strong Christian background, and so it helps to sometimes see what, how they interpret sure. it, or, you know, because they've Absolutely. been studying for so long. Yeah, that's what, in a previous chapter, it talked about the other, other means, right. and, and commentaries fit into that. It's a gift of God's grace. Uh, you have to be use some discernment there, of course, and but uh, they can be helpful. Um, and, I, and I know that this is the only absolute authority, but I also go to God the Word in prayer. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Jesus is the Word. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I always start with a daily devotional looking for something that uh, is worth taking to heart and remembering for the day. It doesn't always work, but it's where I start. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of different tools out there where we God's word is is being talked about, discussed, and applied. Yeah, better be a Christian. Yeah, yeah, better be a Christian. So uh, you know, his, his he's getting at um, we we can put other things if God's word is necessary to know God's will. We can substitute other things that maybe. Are a little bit less reliable. Now, to, to Cheryl's point, the Spirit of God is not unreliable, <laughs> right? But we can misinterpret, misinterpret the, the Spirit. Uh, and so he's really calling us to... Uh, I, I think my, my question about before we got this book... One of the reasons why we don't go to the Word for understanding God's will is, is sometimes it's hard to get to the question we're, we're wanting to have a answered. It's a big book. It's there, it's, and it takes time. And, and it's the, that kernel of truth, that word for us uh, dealing with our problem, sometimes you do have to read through 10 chapters of Numbers to find it. 
or, or even Leviticus, right? Uh, and and or, or so that's why it's so awesome to have tools such as this that can summarize things, or or even Doctor Google is uh, really helpful these days to find things. If it, but with the caveat that you you can't trust everything you find on the internet. <laughs> Who's your source? Even, even like when they when I have students that Google topics. What does the Bible say about abortion? And the the passage that comes up is in Leviticus 15, and it has absolutely nothing to do with abortion. Right. But they take that one verse completely out of context and say abortion's in the Bible, mm -hmm. and they're willing to. It's, it's Bible, and it came from Google, so obviously that's what it says. <laughs> super, super dangerous. Yeah. I think worship there, because in Proverbs 3.6 it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So, worship sometimes to find God's will. But, obviously, worship in the proper context and, and leaning in on God's holiness, acknowledging him in all yeah. ways. Yeah, I think God has disclosed uh, his will to us is to love God and to, to love others. Mm -hmm. And you can think of a lot, and there's all these other moral issues that are clearly laid out in scripture. But a lot of our decisions, if we really reflect, you know, does this allow me to better serve God, or does this glorify God through what I'm doing? Um, it, it's not like God has a specific will of whether you buy a Chevy or a Ford. <laughs> oh no. And maybe, maybe what God's really telling you is, do you really need to spend that money? Is that the best use of the resources I've given? Right. You know, and that's where I think sometimes we need to back off all this micro decision stuff, whether God wants me to park in this spot or this spot. You know, that, that's, I don't think in the big scheme of things, that's really what God wants us to be thinking about. Is do we love God and how do we serve God and serve others? Excellent. Along that same line, I think one of the things that was helpful for me, and this wasn't original with me, but somebody said, we, what is God's will for me is not the right question. And we tend to ask it that way. Well, what is his will for me in this situation? The right question is, what is God's will? <laughs> We're so self-focused. <laughs> Excellent. Well, and the, and the discovery of that comes from just increased investment in his word, discovering his character and who he is and the ways that he's moved and worked. Because, yeah, if I open the Bible and I'm like, Tell me what I should do about this. That won't get me anywhere. But if I've constantly been in, you know, okay, God's character, this is in line with his character, that's in line with his will, then you have to be obedient to that's what I have to follow. Not necessarily, am I going to make fish on Friday or, you know, whatever. Yes. Uh, along those lines, uh, so, the revealed, and, and you, some of you have heard, seen me use this illustration before, but, uh, so we, we uh, and, and this comes from this book, this was a famous book back in the 80s, Decision Making and the Will of God, have you ever heard of that? Yeah, no. It's an excellent book, I'd recommend it, I don't know if it's still in print, but 
Uh, it's Decision Making in the Will of God by Gary Friesen. And, and he, he said that uh, God, in the, in the scriptures, God has given us his will. And what Don said there, you know, God's will, he's told us how he wants us to live. What, what Mark said, he's told us to love people, love God. He's given us general uh, principles and teachings on, on how to live. Okay, so when it comes, to, and, and in this book he runs through like, uh, is there a certain person I have to marry? Is there a certain job I have to take? Is there a certain, uh, do I have to become a missionary? So he's all kinds of practical questions. But, but he's saying that uh, as long as you're inside the will of God, you can take this job or this job. You can park in that space or that space. <laughs> you can cook beef or fish <laughs> on Friday night kind of deal. So, but to know the will of God is the key thing. It, it, he's, in, in, so in other words, what he's arguing for is God has given us his will. And within that revealed will, we have a lot of freedom, which is, which is pretty awesome. So when it comes to like a job decision, maybe, uh, maybe you got three options. And maybe, maybe one of them, like I almost did it there, maybe one of them really lines up with all a bunch of factors. But maybe a, there's a third job option that's outside of the will of God. Right, like uh, you have to lie to people to make money, right? Or these two job, uh, these two jobs, maybe they don't pay as much, but you treat people with integrity, you love people, you you uh, you know you 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 do moral things, and or maybe there's a better one, like you love people, you do moral things, but in this job you can evangelize. You know, so all the different things that God wants you to do, we're, we've given a lot of freedom. To, to what would be the, the best job if I have three different offers that is within the will of God. Um, if they, all three are in there, praise God. And that's where, uh, that's where however, I think Grudem does a good job of, of suggesting that God does subjectively lead us at times through prayer or through the church, through godly people, through godly books, through godly podcasts, you know, maybe we can be influenced, maybe God is speaking through uh, circumstances or people. He, this, this, guy, this guy is saying that in church history, we look at too much at the open doors or the closed windows. We look at too much of the subjective things, where, where, and we get all bound up and guilt-ridden, like, I don't want to make a mistake, I don't want to make a mistake, and, and where, we have, where God's given us so much freedom to choose. I had a friend who was trying to decide, should I do this or should I do that? God, should I do this? Should I? He said, you choose. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically the summation. <laughs> as long as you are within the revealed will of God, and, and of course, you, you, you pray. God, I, I'm, I'm foolish. I, I'm, I, I've got blind spots. I've got tendencies. I've got pride. Show me which is better and, and lead me. And, and maybe... Maybe have a, in, in a sermon, or maybe a, a brother or sister in Christ, maybe they can help me discern what is best in those, those matters. I always fall back on Romans 8, 28. 
Yes. <laughs> all things can work together for good to them that love the Lord. Because Even I, mistakes. And, you know, I, I see in life from the underside of the tapestry, not the yeah. top side that God's weaving, <laughs> and how he's using it to put it together. Amen. So it's like, yeah. Better back off a little. <laughs> so to Jordan's illustration, I can have fish or chicken, or I can go to McDonald's because all things work together <laughs> for God's glory. Unless you're watching cholesterol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't. So yeah, is it healthy? In my, is this a temple of the Holy Spirit? Am I treating it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, some of those, I, I listed some questions there, and I think you can you can fi any of those those questions. Uh, that, that I think lost people or wicked people know God exists, yes. He provided some, uh, some script. Do lost people or wicked people know that their evil actions are wrong? Yes. He's provided scriptures that in, in his chapter here. Are people who have never heard the name? Yeah, so we talked about that. Innocent? No. Um, what's meant by the terms general revelation and special revelation? Was that clear enough? General revelation and, and, and special revelation? That's, uh, oh, did I skip ahead? No, I didn't skip ahead too far. It's on page 146. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, could, could somebody read that second paragraph for us, please? Concern of the knowledge? Yes. The knowledge of God's existence, character, and moral law, which comes through creation to all humanity, is often called general revelation, becomes, because it comes to all people generally. General revelation comes through observing nature, through seeing God directly in influence and history, and through an inner sense of God's existence and his laws that he has placed inside every person. General revelation is distinct from special revelation, which refers to God's words addressed to specific people, such as the words of the Bible, the words of the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament and the New Testament apostles, and the words of God spoken in personal address, such as at Mount Sinai or at the baptism of Jesus. Excellent. And the, uh, uh, the, the highest form of uh, special revelation, other than, you know, the Bible, but uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and, and 2. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So a special revelation. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. In these last days, the highest revelation is Jesus Christ himself. God himself came to earth. So that's special revelation. General revelation, I can look at the stars and I can see that there must be, must be a God out there. But it's not. General revelation usually doesn't give enough specifics for me to be saved. Like Pagans can look at the stars and they believe that there's a creator, but it's not enough to save them. There's not enough information for them there to come to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Special revelation, uh, the words of God, that's kind of the point of the chapter, the necessity of Scripture. Scripture is ne necessary for salvation. Anything else on that chapter? Let's go to the sufficiency of Scripture. And don't read the definition. Let's see if you remember the fill in the blanks. This is, this is like, I don't know, it might get you closer to God if you answer these all right. Uh, scripture has all the words of God needed for salvation. Okay. 
uh, fill in your blank there. Uh, scripture has all the words of God needed for uh, trusting. <laughs> needed for trusting him perfectly. And Scripture has all the words of God needed for obeying. obeying. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sufficiency of Scripture—it's sufficient for those things. It's—it's it's capable. It's—it's—it allows those things to happen. Uh, and, and we, we don't need to go to other books or we don't need to go to other, uh, other sources to, to find salvation or, or to know what salvation is. Or we don't need to go to other sources to know how to trust Him or know how to obey Him. Very, very succinctly stated. Uh, you can find all that God has said on particular topics and answers to our questions. He has a little, script, he has a little blurb there on Sola Scriptura. And that's, I, I, had, I gave you a handout there just for your reference if you're wondering what that means. I thought John MacArthur did a really good job of explaining that in the handout. So if you're, if, sometimes we run across that, that, little, that little statement or that little saying, and that's a good explanation of what it means. I thought he did it because there's, again, books written on this, so he really summed it up in one page in a tight way. So if you're ever interested in what that means, you can read that. Uh, um, letter C. So uh, basically, it's sufficient. We can in letter B, we can find all that God has said on particular topics, which is pretty cool. But but again, that entails work, mm -hmm. right? It entails work summarizing, putting all the scriptures together, and and that's the beautiful thing about something like this. <laughs> you know, systematic theology. We can find topics pretty pretty easily. And uh, we're, we're blessed to live in this day and age when these kind of tools are at our disposal. We can find answers to our questions. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's really good. Um, why, why does he say this is, is important? Uh, in, as you read that little section, what's the big deal about these things? Um, what, what would be the blessing of being able to find our, our answers in one particular place? We have, the answers. we have the answers where we don't have to go through all of church history. We don't have to go through all these theologians and all hundreds of years and all these church councils. We don't have to go through all these different uh, vast amount of, of, of arenas. We have the answers here on the important topics, the topics that God wants us to know about and God wants us to understand, He gives us the answers. Now, does God God give us a lot of information about DNA in here? No. I mean, we could make some deductions of certain things He says about those kind of things, but the, the, the topics that are very important to our spiritual life, to our salvation, the things that God wants us to know about, we don't have to go searching high and low we don't have to go to the moon. We don't have to go to the depths of the sea. We, we have the Bible. It's sufficient to what we need. Um, yeah. I, well, I'll jump down to that in a minute. But um, 
Anything in letter B there that was, you found interesting or? Do you have a typo there? You want sola scriptura or sola? Oh, yeah, thank you. Sola. Uh, I'm not sure I consider sola text cited to change it for you. Solo, yeah. What's a sola? <laughs> Good eyes. Um, letter C the amount of scripture given was sufficient in each stage of redemptive history. Uh, I, I think uh, I underlined kind of to put that, just nail it down in, in a simple way. This point is important, Let the second paragraph under that letter C, this point is important for it helps us to understand how God could tell his people that his words to them were sufficient at many different points in the history of redemption, how he could never, nevertheless add to those words later. So the progressive revelation of scripture, over time God gave the Torah, then he gave the prophets, you know, the Psalms, he, he gave it progressively, New Testament. Um, and all of it at, the, at that time was sufficient for everything they needed. Now that's what, that's what it's... Each particular time. Yes, that's and each... Pre- that really hit me because, you know, the Old Testament talks about stoning people for things that we would... Well, stoning people, period, you know, for doing something against the law. And, um, I can't remember specifics, but something that you might think would be really ridiculous right now. Right, you know? through, through history, and, and we're, we're, not, we're not Israel, we're not a, a, a theocracy, mm-hmm. where the, theo- one, the God, God was the king right. kind of deal. We don't live in that society, we don't live in that style of government, so some of the things that made sense back then, progressive revelation, as, as the, the word of God spread and met many different peoples outside of the nation of Israel, some of that isn't, isn't further revelation is it's it's come to us in a just what God wanted timely way for our our, our life and our place in history that's one um, argument that I've heard people say when you try to talk to them about everything we need is in the Bible that's where God's rules are that's where his will is and then sometimes people say well what about that what about stoning what about obeying all those the 600 laws that are in the old testament for that place for that time it was appropriate excellent so the sufficiency of scripture we can find all that god has given on particular topics letter b letter c the amount of scripture given was sufficient in each stage of redemptive history i found letter d the most interesting here and, and so much more to talk about practical applications to the of the sufficiency of scripture so number one there when we're facing a problem of genuine importance to our christian life we can approach scripture with confidence that that from it god will provide us with guidance for that problem um, any thoughts about that statement That's a great verse to memorize, by the way, Deuteronomy 29-29. We can approach Scripture with confidence that from it God will provide us with guidance in that problem. So if he's he's making the claim that if you have a problem in your life if you have an issue in your life if you have a it's a decision make that that because god's word is sufficient uh he the, typically you're going to find the answer in the word of god 
he he does say, he he does nuance it some. Like some of the some of the questions we have might not be in scripture, but uh, maybe that's because they're not as important as we think they are. I don't know how you feel about that, but it's <laughs> he he kind of puts it that way. Well, like I, you know, partway through my career, I left one company and I joined another, and. Shortly after I joined, I got to see the books in the office I was operating with, and I saw how they were operating very dishonestly. And I'd signed a contract for a year, so I did my best to clean things up during that year, but I left in a year of the day. You know, I just decided God says, I, he doesn't want me to continue to operate or to work in a company that was just dishonest. You know, so it's not a good place to stay. Amen. Yeah, so God's word guided you. Yeah, but so I, I didn't find that specific company's name in the Bible anywhere. But, Excellent. You know, I mean, but, you know, it's, the principle. Yeah. The principles that God's laid yeah. out. So this is how I want you to live. Thank you for that, yeah. So there's there's principles there that, that can guide our, our very unique individualistic circumstances. Yeah. Good. Like um, the very last paragraph under D1 as we go through life. And that basically is saying, just read this scripture. Lifelong growth and understanding mm -hmm. scripture will thus include growth and the skill of rightly understanding the Bible's teachings and applying them to specific questions. It's a good paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't that part of, you know, growing in wisdom? It is, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you get it, you know? <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah, hope to we'll <laughs> become we'll become better able to get it. <laughs> uh, what what if uh, maybe we've already addressed this a little bit? But what if what if the Bible doesn't speak directly to our problem? I, I, I think we you know the 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 bottom of, of page one fifty six, and I, I think Mark got at this a little bit. There will of course be sometimes when the answer we find is that the Scripture does not speak directly to our question. This would be in case, uh, for example, if we tried to find from Scripture what order of worship to follow on Sunday mornings, I've looked. Um, whether it is better to kneel or perhaps to stand when we pray or at what time we should eat our meals during the day. Um, yeah, maybe the Scriptures doesn't answer all our questions. But in those cases, we may conclude that God has not required us to think or act in a certain way with regard to that question. We have freedom, again, on some of those issues. But in many other cases, we'll find direct and clear guidance from the Lord to equip us in every good work. Is it okay to stay in a company that rips people off? No. There might be some nuances there. Maybe you're a single mom or a single dad with kids, and you might think about, well, what about the insurance and what kind of things like that? But uh, th then you start saying, well, is Romans 8.28, you know? <laughs> Questions, you know, there's a higher principle, there's a higher value, there's... Trust God's always taken care of us in the past. Will He take care of us again if we honor His word? If we do what He says, yes, He will. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to look to other books or traditions to find what we need. That's a practical application. I, I, do we need to say anything about that, or, or, or do we? I think there's a balance there because look at all the other books we go to just to help us absorb what it's talking for about. For sure. 
So I thought he was pretty hard on that. And it's like, yeah, Bible first, and then all my other books. Yeah, it's, it's ironic, isn't it, like he wrote this book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, with, you know, the, the, the idea of Bible doesn't always speak directly to our problem. Um, I teach teenage kids in an area where Scripture isn't prevalent. And so finding a way to meet them with an authority they understand while still being under the will of God, sometimes do you need other books? Yeah, okay, very good. So <laughs> Because there just isn't specific enough instructions. You know, there's like train up your child, but I don't have the privilege of training those children. There you go. So the, the kid, uh, maybe just as an illustration, like uh, I, you and I could tell that kid about what marriage is and how to have a good marriage, but if the if the PhD guy or gal comes in and said, "Here's what," if they're saying the same thing we are saying, maybe because they're an authority. Well, it's mom and dad mostly. Yeah. You know, my mom would never make me do that. Right. I'm actually facing right now the the mentality that because I'm female, I have less authority than my teenage students. So I have some young men in my classes who think they should be able to tell me what to do and I shouldn't be able to tell them what to do because they're men and I'm And so <laughs> that's, that's a problem that's not in scripture. Go to the principal. No, 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 that doesn't, doesn't help. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. I'm sorry you have to go through that. Uh, it's, that's, that's hard when you care about the kids and you want the best for them and they, yeah, they throw that in your face. That's hard. Thanks for loving those kids. I think you're I think somebody mentioned balance. Is that some balance is huge there. I think if we know the word of God and then we go to a book, let's just say on marriage, that is directing us to all the different scriptures, basically like this book. Yeah, yeah, that's what it does. On marriage and expounding upon them, what, how is, how is a book that's probably doing that any different than a preacher expounding a sermon? Yeah. The words of God. That's good. So, excellent. So, I, I think what his, his thing is like anything beyond Christianity. Beyond the Word of God, yeah. So I was going Brett. to say, like, in Mormonism, I mean, they they claim to believe the Bible, but they don't read it. I mean, they have the Book of Mormon, and I think that's what he's talking about here. Mm-hmm. That's a, the other book, you know, you don't need that book. And, and traditions, I mean, mm-hmm. they have the whole line of... Yeah, that, that's, his main, that's his main point. We don't need to look at extra-biblical uh, traditions or extra-biblical... Um, teachings but I think he obviously he he did write this book so he is saying that certainly these are tools other means of helping us know the will of God but they are they're based on the word of God so they're definitely on a lower level but they're helpful Um, modern revelations from God are not treated as as equal with scripture Revelations from God. Has anybody got a, uh, heard someone give you a word of prophecy lately, or uh, they had a revelation for you lately? Uh, in certain streams of, of Christendom, that happens all the time. And in fact, you can't go uh, a church service without having someone give you a word. 
a word of knowledge or they have a revelation for you or thus saith the Lord over you. And uh, it's, it's just for some people that's, that's, that's just the way church is and that's normal. What we often say, at least I've heard it here at Living Water, I don't remember that I've heard it anywhere else, but it, it's a compliment. It, somebody will say, well, that's a good word. <laughs> what's that mean? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, what, what's, yeah, they're, they're saying that that lines up with scripture, <laughs> or it means... Yeah, that's, that's what I want to say. When I was much younger, I would tend to believe anything that sounded right or sounded kind of clever. Like, I remember early in my psychiatric or somebody said, the woman, the man that no, most needs... The woman that most needs um, liberty is the woman in every man. And the man that most needs liberty is the man in every woman. I thought, wow, that's really good. Well, that's not in scripture anymore. It makes no sense at all. <laughs> but now, even when I read Christian literature, um, I'm looking to see if this lines up perfectly with scripture. And I'm, as I learn more and more what's in scripture and what isn't, you've got to do that. There are Christian writers that say things that don't line up with Scripture. They don't do it intentionally, I don't think, not the good ones, but they still do it. Or they emphasize something in a very slanted, biased sort of way. There's no balance to what they're saying. The only way you can read people like that is if you know what's in Scripture. Yes, sir. And then it becomes fun. It becomes really fun to read and see if it lines up with Scripture. And if you have a question, then you're on your way back to Scripture. It's fun. It's the only way we know it's a good word is if we know scripture. That's true. So that's uh, getting back to the basics there. Uh, the revelations from God uh, to what we were talking about earlier, you know, Cheryl and uh, talking about uh, praying to, to God and, and asking for for clarity on things. Uh, the, this, the footnote on page 153, just so you know where Grudem's coming from, he believes that he's he's a, he's not a cessationist, in the sense where he doesn't believe that all the spiritual gifts have ceased in terms of the sign gifts or the the miraculous gifts. He's open to the idea that there is prophecy today, but not prophecy on the level of Scripture. And as we get into the book a little bit more, we'll we'll see that. But he he is, and I think his his understanding it comes out in that in this footnote on page one fifty three, the number two there. Uh, up above, um, uh, let's see where that, that footnote came from. Um, I lost it. I thought I should have circled it. Oh, it's right down. It's the last last paragraph in the letter B. Uh, enables us uh, the middle of the paragraph, but the truth of sufficiency of Scripture is of great significance for our Christian lives. It enables us to focus our search for, for God's words on the Bible alone and saves us from the endless task of searching through all the writings of Christians throughout history, all the teachings of the church, all the subjective feelings and impressions that come to our minds from day to day. Footnote. So he's saying, is, is our subjective feelings, all the impressions that come to our minds, is that a source of authority? Is that something that should guide our life? Our gut, our impressions, our feelings. And so down in the footnote he says, uh, this is not, like he's saying, the Bible is our source of authority. It's the only true word we have. But the footnote says, this is not meant to imply that subjective impressions of God's will are useless or they should, should be ignored. That would suggest, like when we pray for God's guidance or leading, that would suggest that almost a deistic view of God's non-involvement in the lives of his children, rather mechanical and personal view of guidance. So what he's saying there, he believes that God is active in our life, 
that God can move in our life, that he can uh, help us as we pray for guidance. He can guide us, and he does guide us. He does move in our life in certain ways. Now, how to define that in a healthy way is a real challenge, okay? Because, we, because there, there's a lot of potential for abuse or misinterpretation, right? So he says, uh, God can and indeed does use subjective impressions of his will to remind and encourage us and often to prompt our thoughts in the right direction in many rapid decisions that we make throughout the day. Lord, help me know to know which route to take to work. You know, <laughs> now we have GPS for that or, or, or whatever, but, you know, help me know how to get to the, the right right uh, turn at the right time, you know, and, and God guides us is the idea. It, it is scripture itself that tells us about these subjective factors and guidance. So he's saying that there's, there's scriptures that tell us that God does subjectively guide us. Okay, and you can read those later if you're interested in this. If these verses on the sufficiency of scripture teaches that such subjective impressions can only remind us of moral commands that are already in scripture or bring to mind facts that we, in theory at least, could have known or did not know otherwise or give wise guidance regarding a specific situation. They can never add to the commands of Scripture that are there for all of God's people at all times or replace Scripture in defining with absolute divine authority what God's will is or equal Scripture and authority in our lives. Good job. <laughs> that's, that's, can I say something about cessationism? Because John yeah. MacArthur is a cessationist, and I've read most or a lot of what John MacArthur's written, and he's won me over and Grudem isn't, so it's one place where I disagree with Grudem. But, but what I could say about that is, if you believe that there aren't modern-day apostles and modern-day prophets uh, like there were in the Old Testament, when John died, that was the end of apostles. It saves you an awful lot of trouble, or it makes it a lot easier to deal with some of the dangers of charismatics. But it also makes it very difficult to talk to charismatics if you're a cessationist. Because they're very much into modern-day apostles and prophets, and I'm not. But, <laughs> right. um, but there's 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 problems and there's benefits, there's pluses and minuses on both sides, of course. But I think, you know, I think it's important to know that there are really, really good people out there, like John MacArthur, who are cessationists. For sure, for sure. Uh, and the 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 question becomes. Uh, or, or the question that, that he's making the point of is that God still guides us even if there aren't the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts. No question. Right? And so, so how does that happen? He's saying the best way, <laughs> the revealed will of God. Now, and, and so one of the follow-up questions here, how do we check like, like, say, like, say you do think that God might speak to you through a brother and sister in Christ. Or God might speak to you through an impression or a feeling that you have. How, how might you check that to see if it's true or not? You check it with other Christians and you check it with Scripture. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what he really wants to emphasize is the ultimate standard is Scripture. Mm -hmm. So, like, you had an impression... About building this, about this building, right? Mm -hmm. And you, yeah, you brought it to other Christians, right? And prayed on it, and right, and, and that's kind of that will. It's, that it's fascinating, have. isn't it? Right. Yeah, yeah. When you start thinking about, it, yeah, uh, this building is here because uh, this, this building is standing here because three years ago I was walking on a bed of a lake, 
and I had an impression about what we should do. And I brought it to the elders, and, and they agreed. Now, uh, is this building within the will of God? <laughs> Lord willing. <laughs> right? There's all kinds of issues there. But, but certainly, if I brought something to the elders that wasn't scriptural, or it couldn't support it by scripture, it should be cast out. Yes. I think that's Grudem's point. And it's really, really important that we get that, that our, our feelings, our impressions, uh, people speaking words over us, they're not on the same level of Scripture. Because Scripture is God's Word. It's authoritative. And, and whatever, if we, if we ever find ourselves in a position where our feelings, our impressions, our desires, whether Christians tell us, whatever Christians feel about things, even if the preacher is saying something, if it, if it contra contradicts Scripture, we go with scripture. We, we don't go with our feelings, impressions, our gut, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's why it's important for all of us in the church to know the word of God and to have a relationship with each other so that we can go to one another and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's the value of, of community group or, or small groups like this is, right. is if we can, we can bring these things to each other and we can check each other, hold each other accountable, challenge each other, encourage one another with, with God's word and God's truth. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we are gonna get later in, the, in a thousand pages from here, <laughs> that there's a whole, a whole section on prophecy and is it, is it alive today? Is, are the gifts alive today? Are they, are they non-secessionist, secessionist kind of ideas? And it's really fascinating and I'm really looking forward to getting into that. Um, but God is alive and well, and He moves in His people. But we have been given the wonderful gift of the Word of God. And so our, our, best, our best strategy for knowing God's will and answering our questions, living the life to the best of our ability, is to follow God's Word. Thank goodness for the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah, so that, that's, we're going to talk about that too. We have the, the commands on the page. And then how does the Holy Spirit illumine us? How does the Holy Spirit move in our life to understand the Word of God and apply the Word of God? That's a whole other topic. So we need to uh, finish here, but uh, look at some of those other questions there. I, I put like the, on page 158, how do we discern whether leading the Spirit is legitimate? Um, because, yeah, you might, you might fa be faced with someone who has a word over you, or they might tell you that you need to marry somebody because God told them. God, God told them that you had to marry somebody. How are you going to deal with that? <laughs> God, God, God told them that, uh, that you had to buy their car or something. It, those kind of things are real, and they happen all the time. How do you discern that? Um, check out some of those questions. And, yeah. Anyway. <sighs> Let's, uh, did, did you come with a burning question tonight? Did you come with something that we haven't answered yet? You have 30 seconds. <laughs> Let's, uh, we, we gotta, we gotta sing. Let's see if there's a song back here. I didn't look today. Oh man. How firm a foundation. Do we dare try it?
page 165. Oh, yeah, 160. Or we could go back to chapter 7. What's in chapter 7? Oh. The in Christ alone. It's a lot shorter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. It's four two. So, anybody feel comfortable leading in Christ alone? Okay, one. Is it three, three or four? In Christ alone, my hope is found. <laughs> he is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground His body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his. And he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Hey, good job. <laughs> Could someone close us in prayer, please? Just ask that we be faithful to study it, to apply it, 
and to use it to honor you and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.